everyone, Jim Davis here. Welcome back to As in Heaven, season two. This is gonna be a little bit different show uh, today. This is gonna be a little heavier as we talk about, uh, talk with some of the pastors who have been on our show uh, about their experience with law enforcement. Justin Holcomb and I, we know from friendships with fellow pastors that those who are black have often had some hard and, and traumatic stories. And while we were recording this season, we processed with a lot of our guests some of their interactions with law enforcement. And I do want to say before we go any farther that you're going to hear from these pastors themselves that most of their interactions with law enforcement have been good, they have been civil, they have been law-centered. You are going to hear some of them even communicate just deep thanks for so many of the great people in law enforcement in our country. So we're not doing this episode for the purpose of maligning or bashing police officers in the least. Our whole team, in fact, has good friendships and even family members who are in law enforcement. That being said, we felt that this season would be incomplete without telling these stories. You really can't know someone and empathize with them until you understand their fears uh, and their wounds. We had one pastor this season with us talk about the loss of a child, and he said, so when I see the statistics of stillborns uh, come up on the news in our home, I don't think about the statistics. I'm thinking, how does that land with my wife who has walked this journey? So that that's the hope. We want to we wanna understand these stories so that we can understand how when things like George Floyd are on the TV, that we can, we can know how it hits our black brothers and sisters. So we want to walk in their shoes. We want to understand uh, their stories and uh, And we hope that if you've never heard these stories before, that at a minimum, it causes you to put yourself again in their shoes uh, and and try to imagine one of these dignity-robbing or even traumatic encounters. Uh, It's very sad to say that there isn't a single person we asked about uh, asked this question to that didn't have at least one sad story. So in these moments, uh, not even these men's pastoral office or standing in their community spared them these these dignity-robbing interactions. And each of us, uh, we also have uh, fellow black pastor friends who have had even more traumatic stories than the ones that you're going to hear here. So we don't, again, we don't say these things to malign anybody, and uh, but with context um, for why things are so often strained in, in our culture today. And we want to take the Lord seriously in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaking is an honest accounting of the state of affairs to create the baseline foundational level for understanding and empathy. So with all these things in mind, we hope that you will listen to this episode with the same measure of empathy and understanding that you would want if this had been your lived experience. So I'm going to hand this now over to some of our uh, some of our guests this season. Crawford Loritz, would you be willing um, to share with us some of your experiences with law enforcement? Yeah, you know, on a personal uh, basis, yeah, let me, I can answer it two ways. Individually, I, my experiences with law enforcement have been fairly positive through the years. Now, one time a guy gave me a, a ticket that I thought was, you know, bogus. And I actually did think that there, there, there was a little racial profiling involved because he said I was going like, I don't know, 60, 65 miles per hour in a, in a 40 mile per hour zone, but there's no way I could have been doing that because I just came out of a gas station and, and where it was at this, there was in South Carolina. And, uh, so I mean, but but he wasn't hostile toward me or, or anything like that. I just felt like, you know, come on, man, you're, 
spitting on my foot telling me it's raining. So, you know, so that was, but by and large, my, I, I am, I am pro law enforcement. I, I, the, you know, the, I, they exist for our safety by and large. Now, having said that, um, I've had the conversations with our sons and saying this, my dad had with me growing up. Uh, I've had those conversations and my two sons have had some unfavorable encounters with law enforcement, both of them, um, that were obviously racially uh, motivated. Uh, our oldest son was, uh, when he's about 19 years old, was doing an internship at a large church in Los Angeles. And the pastor had a you know, luxury car, it was a Lexus, and he sent Brian on an errand. And uh, the cop pulled him over, uh, didn't see this kid driving this kind of car, must be a drug dealer or whatever, didn't let him explain. Next thing he knows, he spread eagled out on the sidewalk. You know, uh, my youngest son in Chicago, downtown Chicago, playing praise music uh, in his car. And uh, a cop pulled up to him and out of the blue, just started harassing him, jumped out of the car. Uh, There's all kinds of nasty things said to him. So now I will put that in perspective. And, and uh, by and large, law enforcement, you know, they, they lay their lives down every single day. Uh, they put their lives at risk. And, uh, and, you know, the vast majority of them, they, they're committed to our safety and thank God for them. However, you know, uh, racism is real. And uh, and it's in every nook and cranny. And uh, you got to be particularly vigilant with uh, the police department because uh, obviously they have permission to use force. And so, you know, um, it's real. It's real. So but I'm 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 a fan of it. I love law enforcement. Uh, In fact, during all this time, my wife and I and several of us felt like uh, the police were all getting a bad rap and we did a few things to try to honor them and, and show our love and respect for them. But um, these things are not the figment of someone's imagination. When I send my, I think of my, my six grandsons, you know, um, uh, you know, when, when, when white families send their son out and they come back home, you know, you just want them to make sure that, uh, they don't get a ticket. They see blue lights, so I don't want to get a ticket. Well, sometimes with our kids, we have to wonder, okay, are they going to make it home at all? So that's a reality. That's reality. All right, Isaac Adams, would you be willing to share with us some of your experiences with law enforcement? Yeah, one comes to mind uh, in particular. Uh, it was my wife's birthday, a year or two ago it was it was a it was after some high profile killing had happened in the states and brothers honestly there have been so many i don't remember which one it was but it was three o'clock on an afternoon she likes this nail salon in our neighborhood so i was walking i was walking there i'm realizing that i mean man i think this is a useful illustration because again i live in washington dc in one of the nicest neighborhoods in the world and going down but uh so i have my coat on uh i don't just kind of frankly to be safe i don't wear my hood in public so i'm i'm walking but i got my headphones in uh and i'm I'm stopped at this corner that i've crossed a thousand times right outside this elementary school 
two blocks from my church, uh, where my office is. And I literally turn around and I was just, I was surprised and startled because there was an officer right behind me. And I, I, I looked at him and he just looked at me and said, I need you to put your hands up. And I, I, at this point, I mean, my heart is racing. I was like, what? So I like take out my headphones. I'm like, what did you say? That I need you to put, put your hands up. And, you know, the officer, he said this with, he said this with a kind of pain in his face, but um, I'm pulled to the side and I have my hands up and, you know, they're like, can you show us your ID? And I, what I wish I would have said is you can reach in my pocket and get my ID. Right. But I just said very clearly, I am reaching in my pocket to get my ID as you have asked me to. So I get my ID, give it to him. Um, you know, oh, like 10 cops show up all of a sudden. It's just like, I'm like, what is happening? Um, and um, I'm just trying to keep my hands up the whole time and not move. I'm not doing anything startling and, um, you know, checks me out and says, you know, hands it back. And then he says, I, I am sorry, you match your description. Now, there's a lot of complicated things going on there that I'm not going to touch upon because crime had been rising in the neighborhood. We can talk about racial profile. I understand. Like we were talking about in our episode, it's complicated. But here's one thing that's not complicated. I was happy and thankful that I left alive right so i go i go on i go get this certificate and i come back to my desk at work right or this gift card for my wife but then i come come back to my desk at work and i look around to the other white pastors and all of a sudden i realize they will never have to worry about that experience like i do because they're just walking around having a normal day and one comes in my office, he's like, hey, how you doing? And I just broke down crying. I went home and just broke down crying. I was like, man, that could have been it for me. And like I was saying, you know, in our episode, I got little kids, man. And this was, uh, this was two blocks from my office and from my church at 3 p.m. On, a, on an afternoon. Now, you know, people are going to hear this a thousand different ways. I'm not saying... What so-and-so did was wrong or wrong or right or whatever. I'm saying this is the reality in a fallen world that's informed by a really painful history. And that was an experience that I won't forget and that I know has not turned out well for others. Daryl, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about your experience with law enforcement? Sure. Um, and uh, I mean, so what's interesting about that question is that there's a lot of different things I could share about that. Um, I'll, I'll just share a, a few of them. And let me say first that like a lot of people, um, the police have been very helpful in my life. Um, that I've called them when I needed them. We've had break-ins at, at our house here in in, in, in Tampa's uh, kind of, you know, core inner city. And, uh, and so they've been very responsive and um, it's good to know that you can call them. And, uh, and so I think that's, they're, they're a valuable part of our community. Um, so I'm grateful for them. <clears throat> um, so 
Let me give two, two, just just two. And there's several, but let me just give give two experiences that were really problematic um, for me. Um, one is small, and then one is was actually fairly big. The the small one was, is when I was in college, and um, and you know we me, me and some friends of mine were just kind of walking through. I went to school in Boston, and so we we're just kind of walking through Kenmore Square. Uh, heading back over to our uh, apartment, going across the Beacon Street Bridge, <laughs> and uh, and these cops just about three police cars just kind of came up out of nowhere uh, and uh, just kind of you know showed up, asking some very confrontational questions. And I'm gonna tell you right now, man, when when that happens, your speech is just not clear. I mean, you don't you, you don't know what's going on. You. You stutter, you stammer, you 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 don't know how to, you know, it, you don't know what's going on, right? It's I know it's cliche, but it's like, you know, surreal, right? You don't know what's happening, and uh, and so we fit the profile of some guy who supposedly had mugged someone over in the Fenway, which is a park not far from Fenway Park, right, right next on the other street from Fenway Park, uh, the baseball field, and um, it just felt kind of. He just felt violated, you know, and um, and it was just a moment. I mean, it lasted about 10 minutes. Um, one of the cops that eventually got out of the car was black. And that kind of when we saw him, we said, well, OK, we're probably not going to get killed here. Maybe. Uh, and um, it was just weird. We were kind of quiet a little bit afterwards. And um, and so it's just. You know, it's just unfortunate that it felt so people looking at us and they didn't pull their guns out. It was aggressive, but they didn't pull their guns out, you know, anything like that. And it took a moment before we could kind of clearly articulate, you know, Hey, we're just, we just left dinner. And, um, but it was also weird that we kind of fit the profile and it was just black guys walking through um, um, Kenmore square on a Friday night. And were there lots of black guys out there? No. Um, but still, you know, we're just walking, we weren't running. And, uh, and so that was minor. Um, but it still was kind of, you know, it's just not, not, not a fun experience. I think the more challenging one was, um, probably this is 2020, probably a little bit more than, than 10 years ago, around maybe 2008, 2000. Nine, something like that. Um, early one weekday morning at our home, there was um, a loud knock on the door about seven in the morning, just bang, 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 bang. And I was like in the kitchen. My wife was upstairs. We we're getting ready to go to work. And I was like, what is that? Who is that? And um, and so I went to the door and said, who is it? And they, the, the voice just said, open the door. And I said, who is it? He said, open the door. And so, and then after that, now both the, the deadbolt was locked and also the, it was also the, 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 the doorknob itself was also locked. So you couldn't turn that. But I saw that they tried to turn the door. I, I could see the little knob move. I was like, what the heck? And so then I look out and I see there's this, 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 white guy standing at the door somebody else behind him i couldn't quite see him and so just dressed 
and clothes, just guys. And uh, and so I said, who is, who are you? What do you want? And the guy was like, open the door. And so then I just turned to my wife and when she was upstairs, I called upstairs and said, baby, call the police. And so after I said that and looked back out, the guy that was behind the guy that was in front was a black cop. I didn't know they were cops at the time, but he said, hey, listen, man, let me let me talk to him. And the white guy kind of kind of stepped back. Um, and then the black guy said, excuse me, sir. He says, we're looking for someone. And our intel told us that they could be here. Here's our badge. You know, I'm officer, so-and-so. And he says, he said, if you look, maybe you may see on the side of your house, We've got another guy walking around toward the back. And I looked and sure enough, there was a guy walking on the side. There's a bay window over there. I can see a guy kind of walking over on the side. He said, would you mind opening the door just so we could come outside so we can talk to you about it? And that was daylight. And, and, and my wife was, was, still, was still making the phone call. Uh, and so I came out and needless to say, I was shaking. And so he explained kind of who he was looking for. I was like, well, he's not here. I mean, he's not here. <laughs> We're here. This is our house. And he said, well, I'm sorry, you know, and uh, he didn't ask to come in and search or anything, anything like that. He asked questions that I probably didn't have to answer, but I did. How long have you lived here? Things like that. And I told him at the time. Uh, and I kept looking over at the other guy and he was he was not apologetic. He just kind of, you know, he was like, okay, 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 whatever. And, uh, and I'm not saying that was racist. I'm just saying he was unmoved about the fact that he had stepped into our um, morning and just shook it. Now, let me say this. Two years ago, in our neighborhood, there was a serial killer. In our, our neighborhood in Tampa, there was a guy who killed five people over the course of probably about six weeks. During that period, as my wife and I talked about it, I went, like a lot of my neighbors did as well, and I purchased a gun. I just said, you know what? I'm not going to go out looking for this guy or anything like that, but I don't know what his, what, what his kind of you know, modus operandi is. If something happens, I'm at least going to defend my wife, blah, 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 blah. Now, if I'd had that gun, before. Now, I thought these guys were about ready to do some kind of home invasion. This is the Breonna Taylor situation. And so, and, and I think that whether we think about race or not, there is a problem and there's a culture of, of, of aggression and a presumption of, of authority in policing that assumes I can just give you direction randomly. I can ask you questions because I want to ask you questions. And you need to just deal with that. I was in the Air Force after college, right? So the Air Force put me through college. And so I was at McDill Air Force Base here in Tampa. I'll tell you this, brother, the military police treats everyone with such respect 
everyone they speak to is sir, ma'am, whether you're a civilian, whether you are enlisted or you are um, commissioned, whatever it is, you get treated with respect. Now, if they need to bring force to you, they will. But their default posture is I'm going to respect you and I'm going to ask you. And then if something happens where that needs to change, then it will change. I don't think that policing in the, the, the city police in Tampa and in many other cities don't typically do that. The sheriff's department here does a better job of that. And so, yes, I realize that had the situation been different, because if that had been today, I probably would have would have gone upstairs to get my gun. And then if I'd been shot and killed, it would have been justified. But the truth is, it was completely unjustified. And just like with Breonna Taylor, they should not have been there. It's the wrong place. And they were coming in, no explanation. And, of course, there's laws in Kentucky. There is basically a stand-your-ground law there. You can defend yourself if there is an invasion of your home, unless it's a police officer. Then your death is justified. And so I would love to see um, accountability for our, our police that says that if you use lethal force, it's justified not based on what's in your mind, but it's justified based on a circumstance and a situation. If you went to the wrong address and that person pulled out a gun to defend themselves because you came in with force, that's not a, that's not on them. That's on you. You introduced that, not them. And your miscalculation should not rule the day, even though they had a gun. And I think that in many cases, kind of what we could call consequence accountability hasn't been applied. It's really more about like, okay, did you do something that absolutely you should not have done? Well, if you felt like you were threatened, then it's justified. The Philando Castile case to me in Minneapolis is mind boggling that that police officer was acquitted. It's mind boggling to me. And so, so those are two experiences that uh, that that I've had. I mean, I've had other cases of being, you know, questioned. I've I've been pulled over and was talked to very disrespectfully. Uh, once with my wife, daughter, and mom in the car, um, and um, and you know that was you know I I didn't say anything. I didn't say why'd you stop me, officer? I said nothing like that. Um, the opening words were disrespect. And uh, my mom was trying to say to me at the time, as the man was talking, tell him you're a pastor. And she's back there in the black, in the back seat asking me to tell the police officer that I'm a pastor. And just because she could hear him, you know, making what's essentially tacit threats. You better have registration on you. Don't let me see this registration expire. That's what he said. Like what the heck? And so, and so, those are but those are much, much minor, much more minor than I think the other two experiences. Yeah.
There was this one time, and of course, I wasn't in Jackson. Uh, I was in the suburbs in Madison, right, coming right over um, the uh, reservoir, coming, you know, coming from, yeah, crossing over the reservoir into the 55 side of the reservoir into Madison, where Lake, Lake Harbor and all that. And, and long story short, um, it was a mixed group. It was actually a group of white guys and black guys. We're from Bellhaven. Um, and essentially, we weren't riding with our seatbelts on or something like that. I'm not sure why he pulled us over. Maybe it was a U-turn. Long story short, the, we saw him coming. So we're thinking, oh, we need to put our seatbelts on because we're driving in the, in the back seat. And like as soon as that happened, like guns were pulled out. Um, as soon as we did, like, did this because there was movement and so, 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 yes, and even in that case, I, I would say only in that instance um, was that that was the only time that I've ever had a gun drawn on me. Uh, the cop um, straightened up. I'm, I'm glad we had a white guy in the car. It could his tone could have been different, um, but he essentially was like, "Hey, when you guys make sudden movements like that, like we can't see what you're doing. So just, hey, just be careful in the future when you're doing that." Um, but he was super nice and you know, all that. So that's, that's all I got. But yeah, but that just, when you said never have, I was like, no, I've had a gun pulled on me. I just, you know, um, but the, yeah, the militarization of police is the huge issue. Um, we need police reform, but again, there's a lot of like, there's a lack of clarity around that conversation as well. Um, yeah. and it's something that again, libertarians have been talking about for a long time. Um, liberals, <laughs> liberals are just liberals are just catching up. Dr. Ellis, would you be willing to tell us about some of your experiences with law enforcement? As I I say all the time, I say uh, first of all, let me preface my experience by by this: that when you're in the dominant group, the systems of the society work for you, work well for you, that gives us best to you. If you're in the non-dominant group, the systems do not work for you as well. In fact, they can work against you, okay? So having said all that, my, my experience with law enforcement has been on the side of it not working that well for me or working against me, okay? Um, now, I, 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 I also want to preface it to say that these police officers are human beings who bear the image of God who probably see the worst of humanity. I don't think there's a cop anywhere in the world that doesn't believe in total depravity. Okay. So, and so, and so a lot of, a lot, a lot of police, especially in today's world, they're, you know, they're only human. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, they, sometimes they're under a lot of stress and all the rest of that. So I'll, I'll say all that to say, you know, to, to preface it with, with that. Now, the other thing I want to say is that, um, when you're in a situation like we we have a multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, society such as ours, uh, the dominant the, the dominant group tends to look at the subdominant group and ju- and judge them by the worst of them. Okay, all right, and so uh, and so that would be so that's the phenomenon that I call cultural racism. Okay, uh, it's like you assume that. If one is like that, they're all like that. And there's, there's reasons why that, that happened. There's more, today we have more of a cultural clash, I think, than a racial clash, okay? Uh, I, can, I can go into that, but we're talking about police right now. Okay, so here's my story. Um, I, I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, and um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, grew up in Gary. 
And I was out with my friends one night. I think I was about 17, 16 or 17. I was out with two of my friends. Uh, one, I don't know if you know if the name Avery Brooks rings a bell to you. He, he, was, uh, he was Captain Cisco on Deep Space Nine, and he was Hawk and all that. Well, his, his older brother I was out with. Okay, so we were out, we were out just having a good time. And uh, we left Avery home because he was two years younger than us. <laughs> anyway, so we're out, and we're out near a, a shopping center, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, about five police cars converged upon us with lights flashing and everything. And uh, this man, uh, this cop walked up to me, said, get out of the car. So, so I got out, and he took me. He took, put my hand behind my back and slammed me across the hood and put a gun to my head just like this. He says, if you don't, if you don't tell me where you put that stuff, I will shoot your MF brains out. I said, what are you talking about? Don't get smart with me, boy. White cop, of course, you know. And uh, he he kept me in that position for about for about two hours, threatening me and all the rest of this. And uh, I, 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 and my friends, you know, they had them handcuffs cuffed on the, on the ground. And, uh, and evidently what happened, some people had robbed some, 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 Stolen some stuff out of some uh, tracks, some, some trucks or something, about a mile away. And uh, all he knew is that they were black. All right. So therefore, he just saw the first black people he saw and he pulled me over. And uh, I mean, it was really getting tense. And uh, now, the thing that the reason I survived it is because I happened to, to have known the mayor. He was a friend of mine. I knew the city controller. I knew the, the, the police chief. And I knew several members of the city council. And uh, I started dropping names. I say, you know, so-and-so is not going to be pleased with this and so forth and so on. And after about two hours or three hours, or I forgot how long it was, but it, he finally, they finally let up and let us go. But then he wanted to run us in for being out after curfew. Well, of course, you know, how are you going to go home after curfew when you're being held by the police? But it was a close call. And it just, it just that experience... Um, so traumatized me that anytime uh, I, you know a cop wants to pull me over or just even follow me, I get a little, I get, I get, I get quite nervous. And of course, since I've become a father, I've had to tell, give my kids the talk, as we, you know, as we say, uh, you know, if you got your seatbelt on, you know, he wants to see your water. Say, hey, listen, I need to unbuckle my seatbelt. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, so I, I would say that that was a very unfortunate situation. But I'm not going to say that all cops are that way. Um, uh, it was a bad experience. And I, I've had other similar experiences, but not quite that, that traumatic. So, um, so again, uh, part of this was due to a cultural clash, you know. And the other thing, you know, they all look alike syndrome. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everybody in... Uh, <laughs> Everybody in different ethnic groups think the other ethnic group looks all, all looks alike. So, uh, so it, it, one of the one of the things that's contributed to this, I think, in the in the African American context, is that um, like every other group in in the in the developed world, they have two or three uh, subgroups. You, know, you got the achievers, you got the non-achievers, you got the anti-achievers. The achievers are those who live by values that usually lead to success. The non-achievers live by values that usually don't lead to success. This just has nothing to do with character. And the anti-achievers, um, they are—they would be criminals and people like that who are living, you know, in the underworld. And um, 
what has happened in African-American culture in the last few years is that, well, about 90, 90 you know, 85 to 90% of African-Americans are achievers. That small 15% of non-achievers, they have a dominant influence in the culture through hip hop, you know, through gangster rap and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not knocking hip hop. I'm just saying a particular type of hip hop. And so, so there's, uh, there's developed what I call a cultural racism, the, the sense that, that, you know, if you see a black person, you, you assume that he's a thug or something like that, because, you know, we, we have a person in our church that was just roughed up by some cops just simply because he was wearing dreads. He was in a shopping center and they, they, I mean, they just, they, Oh my gosh, it was, it was brutal. And then they found out at the end that it was, it was mistaken identity. And, uh, but he's still, he's still recovering from that right now. It happened like a week and a half ago. And uh, so it's unfortunate in, in that part of it is the cultural clash. Part of it is racism. I'm not gonna say racism is the whole piece, but, but you can kind of understand, um, you know, kind of where they're coming from. They're all paranoid and all the rest of that. So we got a lot of work to do. And there's a whole lot of other dimensions to it, too, which I won't get into. But I'll just say that, yeah, I, I, I have a story. And I, I still, uh, when I see police, my first, my first impulse is to be, is to be apprehensive. Uh, I don't, I tend not, I have to consciously see them as my friends. So it's not something that would come automatically. All right. Dr. Strickland, can you tell us about your experience with law enforcement? Yeah, that, that, which is a, always a, a complicated question to answer. You know, I, I, I do have a grandfather who's a, pl- a police officer who was a police officer. Um, so I, I, I did see a, the badge um, for the most part in a positive light because she was my, the one I saw the closest who was a police officer. Um, but I remember distinctly one day, my cousin and I, you know, I was 16. Uh, we were driving from our church, having played basketball and we were, and we had to drive through a pretty nice, well-to-do neighborhood to get from the church to where I lived. And we got pulled over and we, we were told it was because we had a busted taillight and I had to get a, a ticket. I got a ticket to fix it and take that fix it ticket, as they call it in California to the, to the, to the court. And so, uh, turns out I had no busted taillight. I was profiled, you know, uh, we, we were taken out of the car. Uh, they looked through the vehicle and, and things like this. They, I mean, so that, th- th- so that really tainted my view of police officers for a time. And, um, to be honest with you, that, that, that really, it was, it shook me for a little bit. Uh, and then sometime later I was on a bus and a city bus was riding with, you know, just, I think by myself, I struck up a conversation with a guy and then he, nice guy. We we're just talking about sports and things like this. I love sports. I was a basketball player back then. And, um, you know, and, and eventually asked him, so what do you do? He said, I'm a police officer. And that just sort of threw me back because I thought all those people hated me, that, that all those people were looking at me as a threat. And so I guess my, 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 my fear is re- was real and my fear remains sort of like the, the realities of being black in America remains as it pertains to law enforcement, because it's really easy to see the continuous, the continuous sort of engagement with, you know, law enforcement and black men on the news. And so you, it's easy to see, you begin to like become fearful of you being that guy. And so um, all I had to say, um, you know, I was able to see that not everybody is that guy who pulled me over needlessly. And I, I'm actually very glad by God's grace that I didn't get pulled over 
when I was 16 uh, then uh, as opposed to being 16 now? I think my response, because that was pre um, Trayvon Martin, that was pre all this stuff. So um, I, my, my heart goes out to all the young men who are growing up now who are seeing all the re- this stuff going on on social media now uh, and their interaction with police officers. Jerome, can you tell us uh, about your experience with law enforcement? Yes, yeah, so my, my, my experience with law enforcement has been uh, good and bad. Um, generally speaking, overall good. I think it's important to, to note that. Uh, but I have been racially profiled, and it's, it's an experience that was horrific. It's something that I'll never forget. I was literally leaving a uh, gospel, what's called a gospel announcers guild um, gathering. And it was me and two other gentlemen in the car, in my car. Uh, we were dropping one of our friends off and we were driving through uh, Cary, North Carolina. And the, the blue lights came on. You know, we, we pulled over and uh, the officer came and just said license registration. And I asked, you know, what am I being put over for? And he didn't answer my question. He didn't answer my question. He made all of us get out the car. Uh, he called for backup. Uh, they they begin to pat us down. They searched us, and I again know why. And I and still to this day, I was never given an answer. It, it was just literally just being patted down, being 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 searched, and no no answer. And so that was a it was a terrible experience, you know. And I remember just as we got back in the car, pulled off. And, you know, three of us, three black men were talking. And then a friend of mine, his name, a guy by the name of Abdul was in the uh, back seat. And he was just like looking out the window, like, man, see, you know, he, he was just angry because it communicated something about our existence. We weren't even worth an answer. We weren't even worth an explanation. Now I know that I know based on the Imago data, it's not true, but from, from someone who literally has the power um, to accuse someone wrongfully. He could have planted evidence. Thank God he didn't. He has a gun. And when you experience that, it does make you suspicious. And so I understand. And, and literally, um, and, and, and I was, in a, I was a, in a church plant residency and I was telling a group of, uh, I was the only black guy in this residency and I told, I was telling my, my friends, and these guys are my friends, I said, you know, every black man I know has been racially profiled. And one of the guys later came and said, you know, Jerome, when you said that, he said, I just want to be honest, I dismissed you in my head. I was like, come on, man. You're ex-. No, I said, no, look at me. Every black man I know has been racially profiled. My uncles, my cousins, my friends, all of us have been racially profiled where we didn't do anything wrong. I'm not, I'm not talking about a headlight, speeding, a, no, pulled over and so, uh, subjected to these things. And so the big issue, you know, when we talk about these, you know, calls and even the, the Central Park incident is what this makes us feel is that my safety is contingent upon how someone white sees me. 
that my safety is contingent upon your perception of me sometimes. Again, not by all, but that's what it communicates. And so you're left to wrestle with that. And so, you know, I'm, uh, I, I say I'm over it from the standpoint it happened uh, now over 10 years ago. Uh, but it's one of those experiences you you never forget. But it doesn't mean I haven't given up on cops. I'm not going to paint them off the broad stroke. But I, I do think, uh, to kind of quote the comedian, <laughs> Chris Rock, you know, we can't, he said, that he said, you know, we got a few bad apples. He said, bad apples, that's an interesting way to describe murder. Like that, you know, we, we, we have to understand just the validity of the claims and then the potentially terminal results of this. So uh, that, that was, that was an experience with the, and I've had more than one, but that, that's the one that sticks out the most. My experience with law enforcement has largely been positive uh, throughout my life. I've uh, not only known, but been friends with several men and women in law enforcement who have always been uh, exceedingly kind, uh, rigorous, generous. And I think at the end of the day, they just want to get home. Um, and I think part of being black in America is being catechized to understand the relationship with law enforcement officers has long been fraught with uh, a history of violence and abuse. And so from an early age, I remember getting the quote unquote talk from my parents in terms of how we were to act and behave in public and how we were to uh, engage law enforcement officers during a traffic stop. I think that's been part and parcel of what it means to be um, uh, part of the African-American experience. And, you know, I think uh, very few people I know have um, experienced run-ins with the with law enforcement officers um, that haven't altogether been pleasant. And so, you know, of course I have those. Um, and um, I think uh, by the God's grace, um, I'm able to walk through and experience those detrimental aspects of what it means to be brown and black in America uh, still alive. You know, one particular uh, occasion, two particular occasions, really, one being playing basketball with a group of friends and being kicked out um, of that uh, place playing basketball uh, in large part because even though many of us lived in the subdivision in large part because we were uh, black and then on another occasion uh, I'd just come home from college and a group of us met up at a Waffle House uh, in my hometown, and we were you know, eating and having a great time, and we eat our meal, and about halfway through our meal, a lo local law enforcement officer walks in, and, you know, we're just thinking he's coming in to, to get a meal, and, you know, we are, you know, cutting up with the, with the waitress and the cooks, and you, we've got the whole place rolling, laughing. We're just all having a great time. We finish our meal, and we tip our waitresses, we tip our cooks, and uh, we're walking out, and this um, police officer stops us, tells us that the owner of the restaurant had been watching through the um, <clears throat> had been watching through the video feed and that we fit the description of a group of young men who had not paid for their meal earlier. And so we were officially banned from that Waffle House location, even though all of us had been at college, uh, at attending our universities in and out of state, and none of us were the actual individuals in question. Um, but, you know, that uh, experience of, quote unquote, fitting the description uh, was exceedingly painful. And so I think the last thing that I'd say is, um, I know not all police officers and law enforcement officers are bad. 
nor do all of them do their job without scruple or morals. Um, it is unfortunate that we live in a day, and I think it's a sign of the brokenness of our world and just the fallenness of humanity that we do live in a place and a space and in a world where those experiences are not uh, rare, but they are the norm. And I think it calls all of us to, um, I think, a higher level of not only gospel preaching, but Christian, ethically Christian living. Um, And I think God is calling many of our brothers and sisters into the profession uh, to do so with grace, with character, and with love. Erwin, would you be willing to tell us some of your experiences with law enforcement? Sure. Um, I I am... uh, I'm fortunate in the sense that I don't have experientially in my life, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, um, a traumatic experience with law enforcement that I would say was based on racial difference. I had perspective, right? I had fears as uh, a black man, uh, I, I I received the talk as a young as a young man from from my mother, right about how to interact with the police if you're ever stopped. Uh, one story I, that ends up being funny to me now is I remember I was I was in college, and I was visiting some friends of mine. Um, who were at different colleges. One was at uh, uh, Albany State uh, in upstate New York, SUNY State University. And the other was at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. And so I had a rental car. I had a a Ford Thunderbird uh, rental car, which, you know, I mean, what, you're 19, 19, 20 years old. That thing has some get up and go. This is the, you know, it's the late 80s, you know? And so I'm, I'm driving on upstate New York between Ithaca and Albany, right? Cutting across the state. And I'm, you know, I'm doing maybe 85, 90, right? And I'm just, I'm enjoying it. It's open, right? And I don't see the trooper that is uh, laying in wait for people like me, right? (laughs) And so, again, right? Upstate New York, I got certain perspectives of the demographics and where I am being in, from New York city and this trooper, and I, I see this, I see the lights behind me and I literally start sweating. I literally start sweating and trembling and I pull over. Right. Um, and, uh, and the trooper comes up to me and I look at him and he's black. Right? <laughs> and so, like this, this whole my whole cut, like this breath just left me, right? But he could tell, he's like, he asked me, why are you so nervous? <laughs> and I, you know, I made something up, right? I don't even remember what I said. But all I remember was the sense of relief that this was a black New York State trooper that had pulled me over. I mean, I was at, like, I paid the ticket. I didn't contest it. I was like, I'm, you know, I slowed down. Right? I was like, that was you know just the thought of like, oh, what could be, what might happen here as a young black man driving in upstate New York, right? Getting pulled over 
by uh, by a trooper. And it's, yes, it's the middle of the day, but there weren't a lot of vehicles on the on the road, which is part of the reason I was going so daggone fast. So, so I look back and I laugh about that, but I, but I, because I probably remember how nervous I felt, and it was because of an anticipation of a potential encounter with a white officer, state trooper in upstate New York, and it turned out to be something completely, <laughs> completely different. Yeah. For more interviews, resources, and discussion questions based on the content you've heard, go to asinheaven.com. That's A-S-I-N-H-V-N.com. If you liked this episode, please take a second to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, which you can do right from the Apple Podcasts app if you're listening there, or take a second to share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.